0: You guys are in for a treat tonight. One of my dearest friends, I know some of you are thinking, he's arrogant, he's getting ready to preach, right? (laughs) One of my dearest friends is here visiting. I can never say the countries that he goes to as a missionary, so he's my missionary friend from the stands, right? You know, it's all the former Soviet republics that ends in stands, so he'll say it when he he comes, but... um, we have a, a, a neat story together because we both ended up making decisions for Christ in the same church, Mechanicsville Christian Center, the church that I was at for 17 years before coming here, and uh, I was a bartender, and he was a drunk, and so I don't think I ever served him a drink, but I can't promise you that. But we both made decisions for Christ at that church, and we both became pastors at that congregation and worked on staff together, and uh, we shared. It's come on some just fabulous years together, and and uh, I was just asking him a little bit to refresh my mind of the details, but three weeks after God, God healed him completely of alcoholism, three weeks later at one of our services, uh, the missions pastor was talking about setting a goal to have uh, 10 families mobilized for the mission field over a certain amount of time, and And God spoke to Lewis and said, you're going to be one of those families. And he's like, God, come on, I'm a drunk. You know, what can you do with me? Come on. But here they are, fulfilling their destiny, walking out the purposes of God. So I hope that you will give him a warm City Life welcome as he comes and shares about their work overseas.
1: My name's Lewis. And this is the most beautiful navigator that I've ever run into in my life. And I married her. Actually, I married her in Germany when I was a soldier. And uh, December 3rd, 1985, I asked her if she would follow me to China. And we actually have been within 15 miles of China. I don't know why I asked her that. But come on, Cloudy. This is us in a Nestorian monastery about 15 miles away from China. Yeah, close enough for cloudy. Oh. There we go. Yeah, that monastery is right about here. And we're missionaries to Kyrgyzstan. We spent four and a half years in Uzbekistan, but drunks and criminals and drug addicts were getting healed by the power of God, and we scared the government, so they kicked us out. You know, they just couldn't figure out how these guys are reforming, but reality is, is uh, the power of God, the love of God that heals us out of the, our guilt and shame is what was changing these men's lives. They thought we were, we were brainwashing them, that we were hypnotizing them, that we were giving them psychotropic drugs. They actually asked me on our last trip out, the, the, uh, the customs agents asked why we gave our students psychotropic drugs. Those are mind-altering drugs. Anyway, we uh, spent four and a half years here in Tashkent, and now we moved east to Bishkek, and we've got a Teen Challenge Center here and a Teen Challenge Center here, two men's centers. And we're getting ready to start our third Teen Challenge Women's Center to help uh, the, the, the casino girls who are strung out on heroin and get kicked to the curb walk out of their addictions and find life and health and hope. God has blessed us tremendously to be able to learn the languages that we've learned. Cloudy speaks Russian, I speak Uzbek and Kyrgyz, three or four words of German. She is German. If you notice, uh, there's Afghanistan here and China here, Tajikistan, Pakistan would be down in here. It's kind of a hot part of the world in a lot of ways.
2: It's also, obviously, the Muslim part of the world, and I have the great privilege to work with a local parent association who works with children with disabilities. And all of the parents that we work with and their children are usually Muslims. we have a few Russian Orthodox, but generally speaking, they're all Muslims, like the little girl, Selina. She's a firecracker, if you can't tell, you know. And these kids all have disabilities. And the craziest thing is, in Kyrgyzstan, we have, schools for kids with special needs. The problem is kids like Selena and Tilligan, if you click to the next one, Louis, they don't get in because their mom and dad are not connected. They don't have the money for a bribe. They can't ride public transportation to get there to the schools. So these kids, like little Tilligan, he's deaf. He has cerebral palsy on top of that and vision issues. He was literally stuck at home with grandma, watching TV, he couldn't even hear. You know what hit me? When I was at his house and I walked out the door from his apartment complex, and when you look just down the street to your right, at the end, there's a kindergarten with kids and playground and all the things that kindergartens have. And I could imagine his mom, when she goes to work in the morning, going out those doors and passing all those kids with backpacks on, skipping and laughing, talking to their friends, and knowing that her son is inside. So we opened this playgroup where these guys can come and they learn all the things that kids learn in kindergarten and, and, and preschool. But you know what the most important thing for me is? We sang about God's love earlier, showing God's love that he has for me through caring for these kids and their moms.
1: you know when you come to Teen Challenge the first thing we do is we tell you about Jesus we pray with you and for you and we give you rehydration fluid that's day one and day two we tell you about Jesus we pray with you and for you we give you even more rehydration fluid real stuff from the pharmacy you know the whole goal is to get all that stuff to flush out of their kidneys and and their liver The third day, we tell them about Jesus and give them more rehydration fluid and pray with them and for them. And that's how detox works at Teen Challenge. Our guys, we we don't force faith on anybody. You know, but we offer it to them in as many ways as they can receive it. Because we know that, that alcoholics and drug addicts, drug addiction and alcoholism is just a symptom. Of something much deeper. I know in my life it was. It was trying to numb the pain of the guilt and the shame that I felt. But like me, God has healed these guys out of their guilt and shame. One of our uh, local pastors, this guy, RTM Van Nuken, he's uh, pastors of the AG church that we uh, attend there in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, that Teen Challenge goes to. He teaches classes. He was teaching about great basic Christian principles like baptism, stewardship, communion. And after he taught about baptism, all these guys said, we wanted to be baptized. So he said, I've got a kiddie pool at home. I'll get it. We'll warm the water. And they wouldn't have anything to do with that. They said, we want a real baptism. So we went down to the reservoir that they, they uh, irrigate, uh, the 12,000 acres of old Soviet farm that we're on the edge of, Fastest baptisms I've ever seen in my life, about 30 seconds apiece. You know, this is in February. What's that date say? February 26, 2009. This guy, Alexander Kim, December of 2008, his Muslim uncle brought him to church. That's uh, kind of one of our intake points because we want the guys to know without a doubt that we are Christian, that we serve Jesus. Muslim uncle brought him, and he, he sat through church, listened to the message, and after the message he found me, and he asked me one thing. He said, do you beat and chain your students? And, of course, Team Challenge, we do not beat and chain our students. <laughs> if, if you want to leave, we want you to leave. If you don't want to be there, you know, often the, the first gift, first decision that an a alcoholic or an addict can make, you know, the first gift that they receive is one of wisdom. To to start changing their lives, to place themselves in a position where their lives can be changed. Alexander came with us to Teen Challenge. His uncle dropped in about two weeks later to give us a spot inspection and see how, how Alexander was doing. But Alexander was a heroin addict and he'd already been to two Islamic rehab centers. And they had beaten chained him. His uncle just wanted him free from the addiction. The first week, Alexander came to Christ, and he had a, he found a little Russian pocket Bible, and during our break time, he'd be sitting reading reading scripture, and then the week after that, we'd see him sitting and had other students around reading scripture to them. And I knew either something profound has happened in this young man's life, or he's getting ready to try to play us. He wasn't playing us. Alexander has since graduated from Teen Challenge. He's on staff now, and in September, he'll go to Kiev to the Bible College, to the seminary there, and begin getting his pastoral credentials. This guy, uh, I put this slide in so that you could see the snow on the mountains there. Um, Thirty seconds of peace, I'm telling you, the fastest baptisms I've ever seen. This guy, Volodia in the red, he used to work with our cows. And at month 8th in Team Challenge in Kyrgyzstan, we put the guys on a stipend, about $47.50, 2,000 Kyrgyz Sum. They can collect 25% of that stipend, and uh, because at month eight they also get to go on one overnight pass a, a month, and they can spend that 25%. The other 75%, we put in an envelope, put in our safe, and they can collect that when they graduate the program at month 12, and that gives them enough money to rent an apartment for a couple months, to buy groceries for a couple months, so that they can get a start. You know, our Teen Challenge program is a working program. We've got 74 beehives. We've got, uh, we planted 120 acres. We've got 20 cows, ate up milking. we got 300 chickens. This year we planted uh, 2,400 tomato plants, 1,600 uh, pepper plants, and we'll pull about 1,200 pounds of toma- potatoes out of the, the ground. You know, we are a working program. We work four half days a week, and then we have Bible school in Bible classes, four half days a week, in classes like anger and personal rights. We don't spend a lot of time talking about don't drink, don't drug. We spend a lot of time talking about how to interact properly with each other, how to develop healthy relational skills, how to, to leave those bad habits behind that have been controlling us for so long, how to accept the life healing love of Jesus Christ. You know, Guilt and shame isn't what made us alcoholics and addicts but it often is the mechanism that keeps us alcoholics and addicts. I know in my life that was one of the controlling factors. I felt like I deserved the bad things, deserved the the reaping of what I had sown for 17 years. Volodya, it was time for him to go on stipend. It was the end of the month and payday, and it's a cash society there, so I pay the guys in cash. They signed a little book that they received it for what month it is. And Volodia wasn't there, so I sent somebody to go get him. And uh, Volodia came thinking uh, he had done something wrong and head hung a little bit. And I said, no, Volodia, remember we talked last month that uh, if you kept doing as good as you have been, you're gonna go on stipend this month. And it's your month to start getting paid. And a tear came to his eye, and he said, you know, today's my birthday. And today is the first time in 10 years that I haven't been in prison. This is the first birthday of my life that I've known Jesus. This is the first time in 10 years that I haven't been in prison. And this is the first time in 10 years that I've actually gotten paid for work that I did. And then he said, I want to tithe to Teen Challenge. I said, no, Volodia, tithe to the church. He said, No, I want to tie the tea challenge. So I said, We'll take it this time, but from now on, tie it to Pastor R.T. Ohm's church. Volodya has gone to work with his brother now, but last I heard, he was alcohol and drug free. There's him uh, working with one of that's This calf is less than 24 hours old. You know, we appreciate your prayers. I want to tell you a little bit about what God did in my life. I remember the first time I went to MCC, but we'll back up a little bit about two and a half years. On a Saturday morning in May, it was beautiful and sunny and a great day to kind of start picking up around the yard, get the branches up and take them to the dump and kind of clean those things up that collect over the winter that really don't want around me and the neighbor across the street he had some stuff in his yard and I had some stuff in my yard. We piled it in the back of my dump truck, my uh, pickup truck and we took it down to the dumpster site. And as I was throwing things over I threw a one box that had been out on the back porch it had been rained on several times and it flew apart in the air and there was something that was very dear to my heart in that box and it was our wedding album. Now I don't think Cloudy knew that, that uh, I was going to take that box to the dump, but she did know our wedding album was in it and it was sitting out on the back porch. And that's kind of where our marriage was, that's where our life was. And I climbed down in the dumpster and I got our wedding album. And Dan was laughing. Lou, that girl's trying to tell you something. And God spoke to my heart while I was down there in that dumpster. Louis, you're trashing your life, you're trashing your marriage. I got that wedding album and I threw the rest of the stuff away and I started praying and I prayed for two and a half years. Our neighbors became an answer to prayer. I was driving a dump truck and would come home half lit half the time. I don't know how in the world I didn't serve any jail time. Come home half lit half the time and our neighbors had a mailbox that was kind of in a tight spot. And on at least one occasion, I hit it. And Linda and Roger would come up and ask us to go to church. Really what would happen is I'd do something stupid, and Cloudy would be upset. And Linda and Roger would see what was going on. We thought we had it all together and that nobody really understood what was happening in our house, but Linda and Roger could see right through those brick walls. they'd come up and ask us to go to church and I'd say no, i go to another church, you know, I was lying. <laughs> Labor Day weekend of, of 1993, they asked us to come down to a barbecue and we went down and at this barbecue, they asked us one more time if we'd go to church. Cloudy told them, I'm not going to any church, I got to wear a dress at. Linda said, Cloudy, you don't have to wear a dress. And so the next morning, we got in our Jeep and followed them 23 miles to Mechanicsville Christian Center. I can remember listening for some wrong doctrine or something that uh, would give me an excuse never to come back. And I didn't hear it. And we came home, and standing in my den, I knew, I said out loud, I can't be a halfway Christian. Cloudy said, what did you say? I said, I can't be a halfway Christian. You see, I had grown up in a Christian home. Just hadn't been going to church for years. And I knew that I had a decision to make to either follow Jesus down the right side of the road or Satan down the left side of the road. But there was going to be no more in between and down the middle. And I thought about five seconds, and I said, I am going to follow Jesus. That next week, I started getting my things in order so that I could check myself into the inpatient. You see... I had been praying for two and a half years for God to heal me out of alcoholism. Roger and Linda, when they had asked us to go to church, and we'd say, no, they didn't get angry, they didn't get upset, they didn't get offended. They just kept praying for us. How many people have friends and neighbors whose lives kind of sound like mine, different names, different people? So we went to church the next week. Actually, Wednesday night came, church doors were open, we went. Next Sunday came, church doors were open, we went. We sat down after a worship, much like what we had tonight. And as we sat down, I can remember thinking, Jesus, I just don't want to be like this. The power of God fell on me. I don't remember the sermon that was preached. Nobody prayed for me, kind of, kind of sat in my chair and shook a little bit. But I knew when I stood up to walk out of that church that I would never have another drink, and I haven't. Pastor Fred was right when he said about three weeks after that, our church was having a missions com, uh, convention, and, and uh, we were adopting the Caracal Pack People Group to see a church planning movement established there. There were five known Christians there at that point. And Pastor Pete Holman, he talked about how our church wanted to mobilize 10 families to the missions field in the next 10 years. And just as soon as he said that, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Lewis, your family's one of them. I can remember thinking, God, who wants a drunk for a missionary? It's only been three weeks. I've done that before. But I had this deep sense of this, if this was really God speaking to me, that the things that he was speaking to my heart, would come to pass and they did actually August 16th 1999 I stepped off a plane in a old Soviet airport in Tashkent Uzbekistan and that was my first day of full-time ministry you know people ask well how does teen challenge work it works the same way that God works in my life you see uh If you look look in Luke chapter 7, along about verse 40, 41, there's a parable that Jesus tells about some folks who, uh, uh, two creditors, two uh, money uh, debtors, rather. One guy owes 500 denarii. A denarii is about one day's wage. The other guy owes 50 denarii. And the money lender, without Pause, forgives both of their debts. So you think about it. You've got a guy that, that owes two and a half years worth of salary. You've got another guy that owes two and a half months. The money lender, who's Jesus, forgave the debt. And Jesus goes on to ask, who will love the money lender more? The man that was forgiven little, or the man that was forgiven much. And I can tell you, that's the story of my life. I understand what God has forgiven me of. I know the sin that I lived in, that I was driven by, and the guilt and the shame. And I know the promise that I now have. And that's the same story for every man that comes through Teen Challenge. We are purveyors of hope. That is what we are called to be, each and every one of us, to share the hope of Christ and how he can change lives. That's a takeaway, purveyors of hope. That's our job. And when we share hope with our world, with our community, with our neighbors, just like Roger and Linda shared with us, It didn't start out as hope, it started out as a question. Will you come to a place where you can encounter God? I praise God for Roger and Linda, because if they hadn't invited us, chances are I might have been healed out of alcoholism, but chances are I would have gone down a different road and not ended up working with alcoholics and drug addicts and compulsive gamblers and whatever. God brings my way in Kyrgyzstan. It's a joy to be found useful for his work. Pastor Fred, thank you so much for letting us share. Thank you all for listening.
0: Thank you. When you hear Roger and Linda Simmons tell that same story, which I've heard him do many times, um, it was actually quite a few mailboxes. <laughs> they joke that we're either going to get this guy into church or we're going to go through our life savings replacing our mailboxes. huh? But it's a powerful story of grace, isn't it? All the things that they could have done, all the responses, all the reactions that they could have brought to that moment, they brought grace, they brought patience, and they brought an invitation. And that invitation is changing People halfway around the world. And it's the same for us. We have people within arm's reach of us all the time. All the time. Needs to step into, grace to give, come on, lives to change. I'm going to share with you a little bit tonight, just out of my heart, good news. I know when people say that, sometimes it's bad news, isn't it? He's going to break up with me. You know, one of the uh, things that I like to do when we get some downtime on vacation is I like to uh, go to this little bookstore in Duck, North, North Carolina. We like to go down to the Outer Banks. And I, I look for a novel of, of uh, early century world exploration. Before they had GPSs, when men and women of courage, they would set out on great and grand adventures to to uh, to find places in the world that no one had had ever seen. And so I'll get lost in these novels. And and uh, I like them when they're based on true stories, especially in a, uh, a few years ago, I read this one based on Sea Venture. It was before we actually felt a call to come here to Newport News. And so as I uh, share a little bit out of this story with you, you're going to appreciate why it's so meaningful. It says, in one of the most triumphant sea stories ever told, Kieran Dougherty, the author, brings to life the remarkable true story of the ship that rescued the struggling Jamestown settlement in 1610 and single-handedly ensured England's place in the New World. When the Sea Venture left England in 1609, it was the flagship in a fleet of nine bound for Jamestown with roughly 600 settlers and badly needed supplies aboard. But after four weeks at sea, as the voyage neared its end, a hurricane struck, devastating the fleet, and one ship on the bottom, the rest scattered, and the sea venture was shipwrecked on one of Bermuda's islands. And that's back when Bermuda was just a barren wasteland. There was no bag boy came, right? You with me? You're you're picturing the Carnival Cruise Line of Bermuda. It wasn't there yet. Side note, it's actually two of The mutineers from this story ended up settling Bermuda. You're going to have to read the book. I'm not going to tell you that part of the story tonight. (laughs) Awaiting them was, once they finally got to to, uh, uh, Jamestown ten months later, awaiting them was not the thriving populated colony they expected, but the grim reality of a settlement savaged by illness, starvation, and violence. Listen to this. Instead of a population of 500 settlers... The shipwrecked survivors found just 50 colonists still alive in Jamestown, a beleaguered, desperate, and hungry handful. But the question remains, would the English have lost their place in the New World if the Sea Venture had never arrived? If you're familiar with the story, you know that Captain Christopher Newport was the captain of this expedition. And he was one of the men, come on by way of destiny, that had survived and was stranded in the Bermudas. The reason why they call this area Newport News is because it's celebrating and remembering the news that Christopher Newport brought to rescue a settlement where 50 people were holding on for hope. So there they are, shipwrecked on this barren wasteland. They know that they have the people and the supplies that a settlement is desperately waiting for, but they have no way to get there. So there were some craftsmen that were with them, and they said, we can build a ship from the wreckage of the one that's here. Hand tools, what they could find on the land. They built a ship, and they named it Deliverance. Come on, that's a good name, isn't it? And when they're almost complete with this ship, that they build by hand from scratch on a deserted island that's going to sail the Atlantic to get to Jamestown. There were some other men that began to realize that we're not going to be able to fit all the people and all the supplies that we need onto this one ship. We're not going to be able to bring the provision that people desperately need. So they went to the leaders of the expedition. They went to Captain Christopher Newport, and they said, Let us build a second ship. And they said, we have no supplies to spare. Because they had the wreckage of all the irons and the fittings and the riggings from the Sea Venture that they were able to build under the ship deliverance. And they said, we don't need it. We'll be able to do it. And they said, we've got one piece of iron that we'll give you. That's it. So the second ship that they built was called the Patience. Come on, that's a good name, right? Right. The first ship was named for what it was going to do. The second ship was named for what it took to make it. That whole entire ship, except for this one piece of iron, was held together by wooden pegs and dovetails and tongue and groove. Come on, any carpenters in the room want to take that on? Any people that work at the shipyard want to design that one? And they used the one piece of iron that they were given to nail the first plank to the keel of the ship. Sure enough, when it was time to go, they had built their ship. And now two set sail instead of one. The settlement was rescued, come on, not too far from here, named for a city that we live in today. And that ship, Patience, it went on to sail back and forth across the Atlantic from England, from Virginia a couple of times. Amazing feat of craftsmanship. One piece of iron holding it together. So we have some other guests that are here tonight, Pastor Jack and Brenda Joyner. Flip up your hand. About five years ago, God spoke to Jack and said, I want you to start a church in Williamsburg. You say, God, I'm 60 years old. Come on. I think you're talking to the wrong person. We always have a reason, don't we? We always Moses up in those moments. I think you got the wrong guy. I think you got the wrong lady. He says, no, come on, it's, it's your call, Jack. I want you to do it. So five years ago, he and Brenda courageously, they planted a church in Williamsburg and that church has been on quite a journey. Several months ago, they really felt like God said to them, come on, you've done your part, you've run your leg of the race, it's time for you to pass the baton on to somebody else to lead it forward. And So they trusted God's word, they trusted his voice, that he was going to guide them through that process and... If you know Chandler and Celeste, Celeste leads our worship team here. Her husband, Chandler, uh, his parents go there and attend that church. And when I heard that Jack was going to retire, come on, God spoke to me. He said, I want the City Life Church to extend an invitation to lead that church forward. Of course, I did what Lewis and Jack did and all their stories. I said, come on, God, you got the wrong guy. They meet on Sunday mornings. I'm not even sure they're Christian. so I shared what God spoke to me with Vanessa submitted it to our governance team I submitted it to Pastor Jack and we've been in this process together for a couple of months now and so they extended an invitation to us this past Sunday morning to lead that church forward and for that to become a campus of the City Life Church now I know the church that planted us here's in Williamsburg but they're of the same heart that we are come on Williamsburg is a big city There's tens of thousands of people that are there, and even if we both planted five more churches there in our lifetime, it still wouldn't be enough to gather in the harvest that God wants to bring in that city. Now, you might be thinking, like we've been talking as a team over these last couple of months, we haven't even finished building our own ship yet. You with me? You tracking the story? We're trying to build the deliverance, and now God's asking us to take on the construction of the patience. We have modest means. We have meager resources, and sometimes it feels like we've got one little piece of iron to spare. But you know what? If that's all we got, then that's what we're going to use, and we're going to see that ship built for the glory of God and the work that he wants to do in that city. So on Wednesday, our governance team accepted that invitation to launch that campus there. It's going to take a lot of work. We don't have all the details worked out. I'm sure it's the same when the craftsmen walked away from Captain Christopher Newport on the islands of Bermuda. Now what are we going to do? I don't know. We're going to figure it out as we go. Have you seen any trees? But we know that God's spoken to our heart, and we know that there's a work to be done. If you're asking yourself the question who's the Jamestown in the story? It's not their church. We're not coming to rescue that church. We're coming to stand alongside them and to see that house built. The Jamestown settlement in the story are the people in Jamestown today who don't know Christ. Come on the book of Revelation it says we think that we have so much but God looks at us and he says, you're blind, naked, miserable, wretched, and poor. That's our spiritual condition that we have all been walking around in before the day that we had an encounter with Jesus Christ. In the Jamestown of today, come on in 2011, they might not be physically hungry, but spiritually they're starving. They might be physically alive, but there's something dead inside of them that needs to be resurrected. Resurrected. And they don't need the news of Captain Christopher Newport in this modern era. They need the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to be brought to them. And sometimes it requires great effort. Sometimes it requires a great challenge. And sometimes it seems as though we're stranded on an island burdened with the work that we have for ourselves, and God just adds more to it. And we say to him on those moments, God, I trust you and trust you alone. That if you've called me to do it, then you're going to equip us to make it so. So we're believing that tomorrow as we come and extend an invitation to that congregation to be a part of what we're doing here, there. That We've been one ship that's being built for these last five years, but come on, now there's going to be two. I'm just telling you, in my heart, there are many ships in my heart. There are many ships in my heart for this region, for the people that need to know the grace and the glory and the wonder and the majesty of my king. And it is my great prayer, come on, that we're going to build those ships together. This is a verse in Romans chapter 10. Lewis was up here when Claudia was talking, thumbing through my Bible, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, Vanessa, he's losing my place. Mm. But he's a good friend. He left my marker. Come on, Romans 10, chapter 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, one believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth, one confesses, resulting in salvation. And now the scriptures says, no one who believes on him will be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, which means it doesn't matter what you were born into that was beyond your control, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. For everyone, come on, it's building, who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, but how can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they are sent? Come on. We're not sending them a preacher. We're sending them ourselves as a congregation. And I'm excited that in the weeks and the months to come that here on Saturday night, We're going to be talking about what's happening there on Sunday morning. Come on in there on Sunday morning. We're going to be talking about what's happening here on Saturday night. Two ships, one purpose, one region, one greater glory to see fulfilled. And John, I'm going to skip John. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 10. Is that rain out there I'm hearing? See, you got nowhere to be anyways. You're just going to get wet, get into your car. Come on, this is Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, just then an expert in the law stood up to test him, referring to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself, even if he's knocking over your mailboxes. Verse 28, it says, you've answered correctly, Jesus says, and he told him, do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Because what's he saying? I don't want to do more than I have to. And Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him, they beat him, and then they fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road when he saw him and he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. It's interesting there that he makes the distinction between a priest and a Levite. A priest was someone who had the most sacred of responsibilities in Judaism in the temple, conducting the sacrifices leading the worship and people that were just of the levitical order but not had ascended to the priesthood that they there they they worked and served in the administration of the temple and it's We know that because it says they were going down, it means that they were leaving Jerusalem because Levites and the priests would serve for certain amounts of time and then they would go back and live with their families and all the Levites of all the Israel would come in different rotations and different shifts. So we know that because they were going down, they were coming away from their work. We know also because they were traveling by themselves in this parable, they were going away from the work because when they traveled together, they would travel in a group. They would come home individually as their shifts would end. I think that's all part of the story that Jesus is telling because he wants us to know that we have to guard our own hearts because sometimes we're of the mindset, come on, as we're on our way home from the Saturday service, I've done my duty. I've served in the nursery. I've done enough. I don't need to stop and say a kind word to the homeless person outside panhandling of the grocery store because I've already changed the diaper tonight. Are you with me? It's a mindset of self-righteousness that says, I only have to do my part, which is the question that prompted the parable to begin with. I don't want to do more than I have to. But a Samaritan, he says, which is the ethnic group of people that the Jewish people look down upon, but a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion And he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii. And Lewis already shared with us, one is a day's wage. So two full days' wages out of his own pocket. He gives them to the innkeeper. and Listen to what he says. Take care of him, and when I come back. I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. You charge it to my account. Come on, kindness costs you something. Then Jesus turns and he asks the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? It's interesting, isn't it? Because that's not the question that Jesus was asked. The question he was asked was, who is my neighbor? And when Jesus wraps up the story, he says, who's the person that was acting neighborly? Because Jesus is trying to teach us that if we learn how to be neighborly, who our neighbor is will never be in question. It'll always be the person that's in front of us with need. says, the one who showed mercy on him, he said, then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Sometimes parables are for people, and this one certainly is, but sometimes they're also for churches, and this one is likewise. That here we are traveling down the road on our journey as a congregation, excited about the destiny that God has for us, and here we have an opportunity at our own cost, at our own expense, to come alongside someone in need and see something restored. And I think the Father smiles on us for it. So, Father, we say to you tonight, with the one piece of iron that we have, with the meager resources that we possess, we say, let it be that the destiny that we run after will never be determined by our self-perceived talent, the resources that you've entrusted to us, the time that we feel like we don't have to give. Oh, God, that you would find in us a desire that says, be it unto me as you have spoken it. And that you would always find in us a congregation and a church that stops on the road and helps and if you speak to us to do something more, if you speak to us to travel farther, if you speak to us to, to, to chart a new course than maybe the one that we had expected, Father, that you would find in us a yes and an amen every time. We say let it be that this weekend two ships set sail in this region, one of deliverance and one of patience. And that the people of this region, the people of our cities, that they would have now and forever the eternal life that your son promises. And it's in his name that we pray and everybody said together, amen. Come on, stand with me. I was doing some yard work a couple of days ago. And I want to share this as we close because I feel like this is for somebody here then we're going to pray again. We like to pray here at the City Life Church. And sure enough, we're working in the yard, and, uh, and, and uh, I'm terribly allergic to poison ivy. And so I am do the best I can to cover up, but it's never enough, you know. So it's on my legs and my arms, nothing that's exposed. So you're okay. I'm the leper pastor. Don't touch me, right? <laughs> Everybody was going to be saying goodbye like this on the way out. And if you've ever had poison ivy, how many people have had poison ivy? What does it do? Oh, yeah, it itches, right. And is it a good thing to scratch it? No, 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 it's not good. It's not good. So this week I was praying for the service, and I felt like God spoke to my heart for somebody that's here, is that our humanity always craves the very things that it really doesn't need. Our humanity always craves the things that aren't going to help it but The things that are always going to make it worse. And I had such a sense in my heart, even again today as I was praying for this service, that there's somebody here that it is as though you've broken out in a rash of unforgiveness. That you've broken out in a rash of bitterness for things that people are doing to you or have done to you, and all you want to do is scratch it. And it just keeps getting worse. I feel like God wants to say to you tonight that, come on, it's not your hand that needs to touch that unforgiveness. It's his hand that's going to touch that unforgiveness. Come on, and you're going to wake up tomorrow, and the skin of your soul is going to be clean. And it's not going to itch anymore. And he's going to set you free from that thing that you've been holding on to. And you're not going to be able to stop telling people about it. And it's going to become your story of the grace, of the blanket of grace that he held you in. Come on. And it's going to help change people's lives forever. And for whoever that is, come on. If that's you tonight, you know who you are, that God is tugging at your heart even now. Come on. You feel like a spotlight's right down on you, that we want to pray with you at the end of this service. You can find me, Vanessa, somebody that's got one of those prayer badges on. We want to talk to you and encourage your heart. Amen. Amen. Come on. Can we just give some props out to Alan Letourneau? It was his first night on the bass, part of the worship band. Woohoo! Where's Alan? There he is. None of the, the the lights have been working on this side of the stage all night, and I'm quite certain his father came in and disconnected the panel, so only he would be held in the spotlight. We're on to you, David Letourneau. Where is he? Oh yeah, we're on. To, there he is. There he is. Come on. Next Saturday, come on, we're going to bring back a good report. The ship that's being built right down the road in Jesus' name. Come on, we'll see you next week.